What is it about the unknown that fascinates us so much? Is it for the thrill of it all? Or do we seek proof of life after death? Whatever our reason may be, we find ourselves being drawn in by these places and the bone-chilling tales that they have to offer. Tortured souls cross boundaries to reach out with stories that they want to share with us. There are times we simply hear the echoes of a memory on loop. The question that remains is this, are you open-minded enough to handle it? Dive into the paranormal with DCO Rourke, your personal guide, as we traverse the globe to dissect haunted places in each and every episode of Hauntingly Yours, a podcast for the paranormal, where the spirits are always waiting. Welcome back, my friends. I'm DC O'Rourke, and this is Hauntingly Yours. Here we all are, together once again, tuning in to yet another episode to learn of the world's haunted places. For episode 13, the season one finale, we are hopping in the car. We are traveling to the most happy of all the haunted places on Earth. Know where we're going? Disneyland. Yes, I know. Some of you are thinking, wait, what? Disneyland is haunted? No way. Then others are thinking, eh, I'm not so surprised. I fall into that last category, by the way. <laughs> uh, I remember the day I found out, I said, for some reason, it makes perfect sense. Let's relax now, though. Get settled in wherever you are and focus on the sounds of my voice. Disneyland. I should really cue the Wish Upon a Star music right here, don't you think? That would be very appropriate. We all know and love the Disney brand, but how many of us know how the park got started, how it was born? Walt Disney once said, it was all started by a mouse. But in reality, Disneyland started with a problem. Sitting on a bench in Griffith Park, watching his daughters on the carousel, he wondered, why isn't there some sort of amusement experience that the entire family can enjoy together? When he looked around for inspiration, he found nothing that met his standards. All the while, he was receiving letters from children all across the country. Some wanted to meet Mickey Mouse, while others wanted to ride on his backyard train, the Carrollwood Pacific. In the early 1950s, Disney came up with a revolutionary idea to build a park that was safe and inviting for families while also allowing people to meet his cartoon characters and ride his trains. The idea for Disneyland was a completely original concept in entertainment, one that expanded the Disney brand from the silver screen to a magical in-person experience. When Disney decided that he would be building a place that actually told a story, he knew that he would need people and technology to help create the magic and therefore tell the stories. In 1952, he actually raised and set aside money to create WED Enterprises, which stood for Walter Elias Disney. Hmm. 
WED Enterprises would encompass all of the people and technology he had chosen to create his special theme park. It consisted of the best of the best from his studio, together with carpenters, engineers, scientists, and numerous others that would go on to help him create his dream. Disney's vision was that he would tell the story and his workers would create the technology that would bring it to life. Disney himself, oh man, the guy loved technology, seeing it as a, a canvas on which to tell a convincing and magical story. For example, when he wanted to have a boat ride that went through the rivers of the world with visitors encountering real-life animals, zoologists told him that this was impossible. So instead, Disney decided to have his team create robotic animals to inhabit his jungle cruise. In this way, the technology at Disneyland was established as a safe, yet inviting way to help guests immerse themselves in his story, not as a celebration of the technology itself. To grow their empire, Disney brought about evolution of everything from robots to tires. In 1952, Walt started his WED Enterprises to help create his magical world, of course. And since the parts grew, so did the enterprises, or as it is now as it is now called, Imagineering. The name came about when Michael Eisner, the last president and CEO of Disney, said that all WED did was imagine and then engineer things. While Imagineering has grown to include more than 150 disciplines in imaginary things, from hotels to parks, they still do it all to tell a story. One of Disney's key innovations was the introduction of next-generation audio animatronics, rob robotic creatures that populate most of Disney's attractions. They can interact with guests, move around the parks, etc. Disney had created numerous ways to get people through the story as they continued to redesign different ride vehicles. While Disneyland and the other parks have evolved, so is the technology allowing for the, the parks to be run. Disney knew in the back of his mind that he would need help funding the development of this fantasy of his. Being the visionary that he was, he looked to the next new frontier, television. He approached all three major networks with this proposal, but only ABC was willing to partner with him. Disney would actually agree to produce a weekly family television program. In return, ABC would invest $500,000 in the creation of Disneyland and would own roughly 34% of the new enterprise. The weekly show would consist of an update on the construction of Disneyland and a short movie, all hosted by Walt Disney himself. Hey, the man understood that the public would enjoy the show while also sitting through what would now be considered an hour-long commercial for Disneyland. The show went on to be known as The Wonderful World of Color and then The Wonderful World of Disney. In addition, Disney raised money for his Magic Kingdom by convincing consumer product companies that if the public encountered their brands at Disneyland, they would associate those products with the fun that they had during their visit. I'd say that makes sense. Some of the first companies to sponsor the park were Coca-Cola, Swift, Frito-Lay, Pendleton, Gibson Greeting Cards, TWA and Eastman Kodak. The money provided from the sponsorships were actually very important as the park cost more than $17.5 million to complete, almost double the original predictions. The tradition of featuring outside brands in the parks continues to this very day. In fact, the uber-exclusive Club 33 was originally built to court new Disneyland sponsors. Ooh la la. 
Originally, these companies owned shares in Disneyland, but once it started to turn a profit, Disney bought those shares back until the only owners were the Disney Company and ABC. Once the Disney, Disney Company acquired ABC, Disney and his management team took control over the entire park. By taking control of the park, Disney created a set of standards that are still visible throughout all of the Disney theme parks today. Boom. That's incredible. Walt Disney also once said, Disneyland will never be completed. That statement is still very much true today. When Disneyland opened, it filled 160 acres and it had one park and one hotel. Now the Disneyland Resort fills 510 acres consisting of 2,224 hotel rooms and three hotels, a shopping district, and two theme parks. It employs 20 plus thousand cast members. Since 1955, Disneyland has grown and evolved from a single park into a world-renowned resort complex. Many expansions have occurred over the last 55 years, obviously. The biggest being the addition of California Adventure in the downtown Disney district, which nearly doubled the size of the resort. Disney built the new park across from Disneyland in the old parking lot. The new park was themed to California. Since it first opened, California Adventure has been seen as a flop because of the lightly applied themes compared to Disneyland's immersive experience across the promenade. But that, of course, will all change. And it did when California Adventure reopened the summer of 2012. The amazing additions of Cars Land and Buena Vista Street changed the park forever. Not only has Disney expanded and grown Disneyland, they have also created new lands and experiences all around the world. Oh, all right. So let's stop here for a moment. This is, this is all well and good. I love a good history lesson. And I know my true Disney fanatics, you probably all know this stuff anyway. Now I'm going to ask you this. Why is Disneyland haunted? It's the happiest place on earth, right? I'd say that's probably just as good of a reason than anything else. You suddenly died and what better place to go to than Disneyland, a place that you once held so dear. I think I could tolerate being a spirit there. Hmm. There are worse places I could end up. If you push through the cobwebs and pull all the skeletons from the closets, you will find that this place is full of tragic tales, urban legends, and myths aplenty. It's all deliciously macabre, if you ask me. Why don't we do a top 10 list and compile the best of the best, shall we? I think that sounds like a brilliant idea. Number one, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Nothing says spooky like using real human skeletons on an amusement park ride, right? Oh yeah, you heard me right. Check this out. Built in 1967, this was the last ride that Walt Disney himself supervised before parting this great world. Before the passenger boats were completed, the Imagineers pushed him through on a dolly and solicited his feedback. Imagineers, by the way, that was Disney's pet term for his creative employees. A uni unique pairing of the words imagine and engineer. He adored the ride, though, and he was thrilled that each time his guests would go through, they would hear and experience something entirely new. Turns out building the ride involved close collaborations between multiple departments, and the whole thing cost nearly $15 million. By today's standards, that's about $106 million. After creating such realistic mayhem, the design team was disappointed by the unrealistic prop skeletons of the time period. How did they fix this problem of theirs? Good question. They hit up their friends at UCLA Medical Center and got some grisly props from the anatomy department. 
Eventually, as fake skeleton technology improved, a new generation of Imagineers replaced the real skeletons, which were later returned to their countries of origin and given a good, proper burial. People have been speculating for years now, though, that not all of the human remains were taken from the ride, and that there are at least two or three real ones left in there amongst the fakes. Who can really say? After all, this is just speculation and cannot be definitively confirmed nor denied. It's still spooky, though, all the same. For those who are listening, uh, if you go to Disneyland regularly, have a look for us, will you, and report back. That's all I can say. Number two, Mr. One Way. This next one I think is rather spooky and feels like something that should be in a Stephen King novel. In the 1970s, there was a large ginger-haired gentleman who got onto the Space Mountain ride at the park and sat next to another single rider. Over the course of the ride, the man died suddenly and was taken away. Ever since that unfortunate day, guests both young and old alike have made claims to seeing a large ginger-haired man who gets on Space Mountain to never get back off. By the time the ride comes back around, he simply vanished without a trace. Cast members have even seen him on numerous occasions and have captured his shadowy form getting onto the ride on security cameras. The footage can clearly show you an unearthly presence who gets on that ride and sits next to a single rider. Like with every other instance, though, he never gets off. Lots of people have theorized over the years that he's stuck in a loop, reliving the last day of his life over and over and over again. He waits in line, gets on the ride, dies, and never gets back off. I'm honestly inclined to think that's more than likely the case. It's definitely residual activity that we're talking about. Hmm. I'll have to ponder that one. Number three, the haunted mansion is actually haunted. <gasps> OMG. Can you believe it? I don't think I would have seen this one coming, really. Back in the late 1960s, when the ride was first opened, the park held a preview night where guests could get to experience the attraction before it officially opened to the public. Lots of eager guests lined up for the opportunity. One gentleman in particular found himself all too excited, and once he entered inside the mansion, he went into hysterics. Everything was scaring him to pieces. Then finally, at one point, the jump scare of a lifetime happened, and the poor fellow had a heart attack and died right there on the spot. Yeah, that actually happened. <laughs> His ghost started roaming the mansion not too long after that. Technicians began to complain of music that would incessantly play by itself, props that would move from one place to another, lights that would flicker for no reason, and much more. From there, people started to come into the haunted mansion and dump the ashes of loved ones on the floor and in other places. Nothing like having to sweep up the ashes of someone's dearly departed grandmother, right? Over time, this became a real problem, and because of it, the paranormal activity increased. A grieving mother once dumped the ashes of her son, who died from a terminal illness at only seven years old in the mansion. It wasn't too long after that that people began to see the billowy apparition of a young boy near the exit, who was always crying for his mother and begging for help. His spirit is just one of the many who are stuck here and forced to remain because of someone else's doing. I think someone should honestly go in and just do a massive spiritual cleansing of the place and attempt to help these trapped souls move on. It's the only right thing to do, in my opinion. Number four, the bellhop of the Tower of Terror. Ooh, this ride today is known as Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. For a long time, though, it was the infamous Tower of Terror and was a favorite among a lot of guests. Some years ago, there was a bellhop working on one of the four platforms in the attraction one night when he suddenly dropped dead without any explanation for it. 
Just like with other spirits that dwell within the park, ever since his death, there have been numerous sightings of him. Some say that he has even been captured on camera. He appears to be a friendly spirit and never brings about any harm to anyone that he encounters. He is, however, quite mischievous and likes to pull pranks on cast members who are currently living. The cast members get infuriated with his hijinks as the ride sometimes shuts down on its own. Lights will fade and loud noises come out of nowhere that are not part of the attraction. They also say he enjoys freaking out the staff after hours once the park is closed, and he likes to follow them closely while watching from the shadows. <laughs> Can anybody say creeper? I can, of course. Number five, Debbie Stone. Honestly, this next one is incredibly sad, but true. In 1974, 18-year-old Debbie Stone found herself working at Disneyland as a hostess at the America Sings attraction. America Sings was located in a rotating theater that had originally housed the Carousel of Progress. On the evening of July 8th, Debbie managed to get caught between two sets as they were being rotated on stage and was crushed to death. A safety light was later installed as a result to warn operators of set changes so that they may get, that they may get out of the way in time. As with most tragic stories like this, people of course have to create some sort of ghost story for it. Why exactly? I couldn't tell you. For some I think it's a, it's a coping mechanism, coping mechanism, excuse me, to a certain degree. The attraction finally closed, though, in 1988, and in that time, cast members kept Debbie's memory alive and made her into a, a guardian angel of sorts. They all claimed that if anyone ever got too close to the walls during set rotations, that you would hear a mysterious female voice that said, Be careful! which seemed to emanate from within the walls. Number 6. Dolly much like with Debbie Stone, we have another tragic story. In 1984, Regina Young, known by her friends as Dolly, fell from her seat on the Matterhorn ride after her seatbelt came unbuckled. No one seemed to be sure as to how it actually happened. Some say she unbuckled herself, while others say it was some unseen force. It's unfortunately up for debate until this very day. From that day onward, there have been numerous reports from various cast members who have felt like they were being watched while alone at the ride. Even at the end of day, as they did their walkthroughs, they sometimes felt like there was an eerie presence amongst them. There was just no way to shake it, they would say. It was as if someone was there in spirit. The area of the track where Dolly died is now known as Dolly's Dip. All I can say is, rest in peace, Dolly dear. What a sad way to leave this world. If she's indeed coming back as a ghost, perhaps she's just trying to understand how she died. Number seven. No one can die at Disneyland. This one, it rather intrigues me. Why, simply because... I'm dying to know if it's true. <laughs> I could barely contain myself with that one. Okay. okay. Yeah, I went there. I'm sorry. People have been claiming that this one, though, for years, that supposedly no one is allowed to die in Disneyland or any of its properties. If you look at the statistics of deaths, though, that have happened here you'll probably wonder how something like this can even be true. Let's take a look. In 1964, there was a 15-year-old boy who was killed while attempting to stand up on the Matterhorn ride. He was thrown from his bobsled and died three days later from his injuries. In 1967, Ricky Lee Yama, who was only 17 years old, was killed tragically while trying to hop cars on the People Mover. In 1973, an 18-year-old guy drowned after he and his little brother, who was only 10, decided to hide out on Tom Sawyer Island until after closing. Once the park had closed, the brothers tried to swim back across to get home. 
The older brother carried his younger brother. Halfway across, though, the older brother sank into the water and disappeared beneath the waves. The younger brother was thankfully discovered by a rod ride operator who was told the tragic tale of what happened. The following morning, the older brother's lifeless body was discovered. From there, we have a story from 1998, where Luan Fi Dawson and Li Thuy Viong were waiting to board the Columbia. They were 33 and 43 years old. As the boat docked at the rivers of America, it managed to tear a metal cleat loose, which struck both Dawson and Viong. Viong survived, and Dawson, well, he was declared brain dead just two days later. Then in 2003, Marcelo Torres, who was only 22 years old, was killed on Big Thunder Mountain Railroad when the train car that he was on suddenly separated from the rest of the train. Torres turned out to be the only fatality, but there were several others who sustained very serious injuries. How about I stop there? The list does tend to go on. Based off this bit of information, I'm inclined to think that if Disney refuses to let people die in their parks, then there's probably more to it than we think. More than likely, they want anyone who sustains any sort of injuries, whether they are a lost cause or not, to be taken to the nearest hospital and pronounced dead there, rather than it taking place on company property. I can only imagine that it's probably a bit of a PR nightmare. Number 8. It's a Small World in the Alleged Suicide Originally built in the 1960s, this infectious water-based ride at Disneyland contains a few, I should say a quite a few, bit of an understatement, audio animatronic dolls representing nationalities from all across the world while the rider is carried through all the scenery on a small boat. Situated in Fantasyland, the ride boat it carries a unifying message of the entire world standing up together as one. What's not to like about that? Back in 1999, a guest was on the ride with her family when all of a sudden the ride had to be evacuated under unknown and mysterious circumstances. Here's, here's the story in her words. In 1999, my family visited Disneyland. We happily rode the Small World ride. I was 12 at the time and my sister was 6. We loved every moment and our parents smiled with nostalgia. At one time near the end, some lights suddenly shut off and rear lights illuminated the ceiling. The moving display parts shut off and crew members wearing red overalls walked along them to help passengers in the boats onto the stages to direct them out of the building via emergency exits. A voice came over the loudspeakers. Disneyland thanks you for your visit. Please evacuate the attraction in an orderly fashion. Keep looking forward and follow the direction of staff. Thank you. The staff wouldn't tell us much as they quickly ushered us out of the building. Ambulances were outside and a police car was parked in the main walkway. At the time, my mother still had her camera out and snapped a few photos of the crewmen and close-ups of the mechanical children. She snapped a few last-minute photos of whatever to just use up the last of the roll of the film on the camera since we were going to develop them later that afternoon anyway. The last photo that was taken by the mother was aimed at the ceiling. In the photo, you can supposedly see a small child hanging from the rafters as passengers make their way to the exit. If you were to take a look at the image, you would indeed see the blurry image of what looks like a small person just hanging out. Whether it's actually true or not remains to be seen, as Disney has never confirmed nor denied the incident. It's still a depressing thought to have associated with the ride, and not to mention the park as a whole. I'll share the photo on Facebook later for you guys, by the way, because I, I have seen it, and it's, it's spooky, but I'm not too sure what to make of it. Oh yeah, total sidebar here. 
Cast members who have worked the ride over the years, they've all made reports that say that late at night, the creepy animatronic dolls come to life on their own in the ride and somehow mysteriously swaps places with one another. Isn't that weird? It's kind of creepy, honestly. <laughs> you know, it probably actually has the really good makings of a, of a horror story. Hmm. I have to put that one in the back of my mind. There's something about haunted dolls. I mean, what's not to love? Anywho, moving on. Number nine. Walt Disney is awaiting reanimation. <gasps> Ooh. On December 15th, 1966, the legend of animation died from lung cancer for which he had undergone surgery only one month before. The very next day, a private funeral was held, and then on December 17th, Disney's body was cremated and buried at Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale, California. Disney was a man well ahead of his time. I think we all know that. The legacy that he left behind in this world, it speaks for itself. He was always looking to the future. Shortly after his death, rumors began circulating that the beloved animator had himself cryogenically frozen and buried beneath the Pirates of the Caribbean ride in the hopes of being reanimated at a later date. Some say that his head was even detached from his shoulders during the process. In 1972, Disney's daughter Diane squashed the rumor in a biography of her father in which she stated that she doubted her dad had even heard of cryogenics. It's also been further discredited by several legal documents indicating that Disney was cremated and that his remains are buried in a marked plot. His estate paid $40,000 for this, by the way, in Forest Lawn. The exact location is a big issue of public record, but it's been accepted for what it is due to Disney being such a private man in life. I actually grew up in... I actually grew up with believing this particular urban legend, and you know what? I'm finally glad to have looked into it a little further. It's good to know the truth. Why don't I wrap this up, though? Let me give you number 10. Number 10. Grad Night Ghost. Turns out grad night is an annual tradition in LA, where immediately following your high school graduation, you are bussed out to Disneyland in Anaheim, California, where you are given free reign of the park until the next morning. In 1966, an idiot teenager named Thomas Cleveland thought it'd be fun to sneak into the park by climbing across the monorail track completely disregarding the warnings from security guards as they tried their best to capture him. Thomas, well, he took off running and ignored them completely. Well, bit of a problem here with this. There was only a few inches of clearance and there happened to be an oncoming train. Thomas, well, he said, okay, I'll just hide beneath the tracks and all will be well. Mm, didn't end so well. That train ran right over Thomas and his body, <laughs> it was sucked right up into the mechanics. Legend has it that a misty apparition of a teenage boy can sometimes be seen running along the track and he appears and then disappears at the exact same spot that Thomas Cleveland died all those years ago. With all these urban legends running around, those were only 10 of the many, by the way, where are all the ghosts? Are they waiting in the shadows? <laughs> I think not. Back in the early 2000s, an older woman found herself working custodial at the much-loved amusement park one night, she was emptying the trash right near the exit of the haunted mansion, right where the escalator takes you up. She came the back way down the employee stairs and saw an elderly woman in an antique wheelchair sitting in the middle of the hallway. The custodial woman thought nothing of it and opened the door to where the trash can was. As she held the door open and tied off the trash bag, 
She wondered why a guest was sitting in the middle of an employee-only hallway. The park had been closed for a while now. She turned back around, and not, not even ten seconds later, she found that the woman in the wheelchair was just gone. The poor custodial woman knew deep down that there was something wrong with this scenario. The wheelchair, for example, it wasn't your typical metal chair. Oh no, this one, it was made of wood. She just couldn't explain it, and it bothered her the rest of that night as she tried to shake it off. A few months later, the custodial woman was talking with another cast member who had worked at the park for quite some time. Someone had unfortunately committed suicide in the parking structure earlier that summer, so they were discussing deaths and the possibility of ghosts at Disneyland. The cast member went on to tell a tale of how she was sweeping inside the haunted mansion late one evening after the park had closed. At one point, she saw the image of an elderly woman in a wheelchair going past her. She quickly swept up the pile of debris that she had in front of her and went to go confront the elderly woman, as it was after hours. By the time she went to look, though, the elderly woman was already gone. The custodial woman listened to the entire story with bated breath as a lump formed in her throat. Was this the same woman she had encountered just a few months before? It was such a creepy coincidence, she just decided to not even bring it up. In reality, though, we all know it was the same elderly woman that they had both seen. It's obvious. My guess is that it's a former guest just coming back to relive some fond memories. There's nothing wrong with that. Or if you wanted to go down that rabbit hole, what if she's one of the many souls who's had their ashes scattered in the haunted mansion? Hmm, I think it's a possibility that we definitely have to consider here. Our next story is from another custodial person. Seems like they had quite a bit. This particular gentleman tells us that he was in his first year as a third shift custodial worker. Cast members had already given him the lowdown on all the ghost stories of the park, so he was iffy about working alone anywhere at night. The night came where he found himself working alone in Toonstown. The paranoia settled into his bone like ticks nestling into the flesh. While there, he was assigned to work Mickey's basement, which was underneath Mickey's house. There was a set of bathrooms, a break room, and a small gym. He started off the task by cleaning the men's bathroom first, and then he headed over to the women's once he was finished. While he was in the women's room, he heard something moving around. He wasn't sure what it was, so he ignored it, continued to work. A short while later, he heard the same sounds again. This time, he was in the gym. The custodial worker panicked because the sounds were coming from the men's bathroom. He realized what was going on, so he spoke. Hello? He said it quite loudly. Is anyone in there? No response at all whatsoever. He walked over hesitantly and investigated the room. The bathroom? It was empty. There was absolutely no one there. As the worker made his way into the break room, the sounds kicked up once more. He went back to investigate and this time found the trash can in the middle of the room. He thought maybe he had not put it back while cleaning and put it back in its proper place. And with that, he went back to work. He was just prepping to mop the break room when he heard commotion in the men's bathroom again. This time, he did not want to go back, but he did so anyway. When he walked in, he noticed the trash can was on the opposite side of the room. Honestly, he became so scared at this point, but he sucked it up and got the can and took it back to its proper place. Then he went back to work. A few minutes later, he was nearing the end of mopping in the break room when he heard the noises coming again from the bathroom. He shook his head and ignored it. Nope, he was almost done. He was not playing this game anymore. All of a sudden, the room went ice cold and he felt as if someone were standing right behind him. He thought of looking, but the, the mysterious person leaned over his left shoulder and said, Get out! In an ice cold voice. The custodial worker didn't hesitate. He gathered up his things and ran out of there as fast as he could possibly go. 
Till this day, he refuses to go down to the basement alone. Once upon a time, there was a bartender who worked at the Ten Tengora Terrace at the outside bar. Upon being accepted into the position, he had been warned by fellow cast members of the poltergeist at their location and how it liked to toss things around. They told him to err on the side of caution, always. The bartender didn't really believe in ghosts or any kind of entities for that matter, so he felt like he was safe. You have to see in order to believe, right? One lovely spring afternoon, the bartender went downstairs to the pantry to fetch a couple of things. As he walked along at a brisk pace, he heard a strange set of footsteps behind him. He turned to see who it was, but found that no one was there. He turned back and continued his journey. No sooner he arrived at the pantry, he felt a presence that was with him in the room. As he reached for the door, the knob turned, and it opened up, all by itself. The bartender stepped back in disbelief and watched as the two items he needed lifted themselves off the shelf and maneuvered right over to him and in his hands. From that point on, he was a believer and never questioned the poltergeist activity. They seemed to be friendly spirits. Maybe they just wanted to help out. In recent years, with remodeling of the place, it would seem that the poltergeist activity has increased, even according to cast members. Even if it doesn't bother them, though, then I'm not going to let it bother me. It's still spooky either way. Then there are the spirit children. Oh, how can we forget the spirit children? You can't tell ghost stories about Disneyland and not talk about the spirit children. I mean, that's sacrilegious in my book. I honestly love these types of stories that people share. There's just a whole other creep factor to them that ghost stories that you generally hear about don't have. Maybe we can thank Hollywood for that one. Who knows? Oh, sidebar. I have actually conversed with spirit children at a couple of different locations now during my own paranormal investigations. They seem to like me. How about these next two cast members from Disneyland, though? One night, there was a cast member working the swing shift over at the stroller shop. She was clearing Fantasyland of all its strollers, and it was about 1 a.m. Everything was dead quiet. Herself and another cast member were between the carousel and Dumbo when they went stiff. They heard a pair of children laughing. Right away, they decided to go get security and let them know that there were still guests in the park. No sooner they had both left the immediate area and started heading out to look for security, the Dumbo ride sprang to life. They stood there baffled as the lights, the music, and everything about that ride went on as if someone were there operating it. The children's laughter ensued. The two cast members knew that no one else was around, so these kids had to have been ghosts. Let's just say they didn't stick around long enough to find out either way. <laughs> Sayonara, ladies. Exit stage right. A caricature, a caricature ugh, artist who once worked for the park had a, a rather creepy encounter one evening. She had just finished wrapping up things and was preparing to head out. At the time, she had two young children at home with a babysitter and was eager to get home to them. As she went to grab her bag from inside the employee lounge, the bag slid across the floor away from her. She looked at it funny and leaned, it to gra leaned in to grab it once again. The bag, of course, moved. That's when she heard it, the laughter of children. It was after hours. She knew very well there were no kids in the park. Frozen salad, she spoke aloud to an empty room. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to grab my bag and go home for the night. Don't touch it again, or you are going to be in big trouble. One, two, three. She leaned in for the bag, waiting to see if it moved, and it didn't. She snatched it up 
and left for the night without looking back. At the end of the night, <laughs> kids will always be kids, whether they are alive or dead. If mom puts her foot down, though, those kids, they are damn sure going to listen. That is all I have to say about that. One night not too terribly long ago, there was a cast member closing up Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. As he walked along the track slowly, he noticed that just around the bend from the first lift, there was the shadow of a person on the mountain wall that appeared to walk along with him. It obviously was not his shadow. A feeling of unease washed over him. As he moved in closer, he soon noticed the figure wore a baseball cap, and from what he could tell, it looked like a young man. He remembered how 22-year-old Marcelo Torres died tragically on these very tracks back in the early 2000s and decided right then it must be him. He dropped to his knees on that very spot that he stood and said a quick prayer for Marcelo's spirit. When he opened his eyes, the strange figure in the ball cap could no longer be seen. Whew. These stories, man. Some of them... They just hit you right in the feels. Last but not least, though, is my personal favorite. If you're well-versed in Disney lore, which I know some of us are, then you might already know that Walt Disney had a small apartment above the fire station at Disneyland on Main Street, USA. During construction of the park, which began on July 16, 1954, with opening day following just a year later, on July 17, 1955, Disney wanted a place to stay on the property. It wasn't large by any means. From what I've read, it was just over 500 feet. Just enough room for the man to be comfortable on all those late nights as he oversaw his dreams come to life. Today, the apartment is more of a museum and a place to entertain VIP guests. As a tribute to Walt Disney, though, a light is always left on in the apartment's front window. What's up with that? Well, I think there's a good reason. Walt used to leave the light on while he was living there because he always wanted his cast members to know when he was at home. Okay, I get that. Why continue doing it until this day, though? It's been told for many years now, but it's a great story all the same. One night, a cast member had just closed up the apartment. The lights were out, and now it was time for her to go. As she left the building, something told her to look back up at the window. As she did so, she discovered that Walt's lamp was on. She went back up, confused, turned it off, and left again. As she exited the building and looked back up to verify it was off, there it was. It was on once again. She couldn't believe it. This was infuriating. She went back inside the building once more, climbed the stairs to the top, walked inside the apartment, and unplugged the lamp directly from the wall. As she made her way for the door, she heard a friendly male voice. I'm still here. Was it Walt's ghost, perhaps? I don't think it really mattered. From that point on, cast members agreed that the light always had to stay on. And there we have it, my friends. Disneyland in all its haunted glory. It's supposedly the happiest place on Earth, so the ghosts here are coming back for a good reason. At least some of them. There are those who died tragically and are stuck wandering the place. Rick Yancey once wrote, you know how sometimes you tell yourself that you have a choice, but really you don't have a choice? Just because there are alternatives doesn't mean they apply to you. Food for thought, my spooky friends. Disney has properties all across the world. This isn't the only location where ghosts can be found, either. I'm going to drop you some photos now on the podcast, Facebook, Instagram pages. Please check them out. Also, if you haven't done so already, join the Paranormal Lounge on Facebook, where you can meet like-minded people like ourselves, catch up on all things paranormal. Follow us also on Twitter and even TikTok. Now go like, review, subscribe, please subscribe, buy some merch, and tell a friend. I appreciate each and every one of you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. For all the shows, links 
check out l-i-n-k-t-r period e-e backslash hauntingly yours paranormal and that is the show's official link tree with all of our links that will show you all of the podcast players our facebook and other social media pages as well as our donation pages and our merch shop and you get the idea Lastly, I'd like to give a big shout out to Clovercrest Media Group and Paranormality Radio Network and their endeavors to promote this show. Thank you, guys. This concludes the end of Season 1, though. Oh, wow. It went by so fast. I literally feel like I just started this whole adventure yesterday. Anyway, I am going to take a much-needed break for a few weeks from the show. I need to recharge and map out what I have planned for Season 2. Season 2, by the way, I will be branching out, giving you more investigations of haunted places that I've conducted. I'll bring on paranormal investigators, parapsychologists, residential owners, and others who have encountered the paranormal at these haunted places we discuss. That way you can hear their, their evidence and their stories firsthand. I think it's going to be a wild ride, and I truly look forward to taking it with you all. Until next month, next time, my friends, I am DC O'Rourke. I am and will remain, much like the spirits, hauntingly yours.